Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is Psalm 14. This can be found on page 500 of your Red Pew, from your Red Pew Bible. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that being taught by you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds may be opened to know the things pertaining to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Psalm 14. Fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do vile deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on humankind to see if there are any who are wise, who seek after God. They have all gone astray. They are all alike, perverse. There is no one who does good. No, not one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who set up my people as they eat bread? and do not call upon the Lord, there they shall be in great terror, for God is with the company of the righteous. You would confound the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that deliverance for Israel would come from Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, Jacob will rejoice. Israel will be glad. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we thank God for the reading of Holy Scripture, and I would encourage you, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, to do so. You may also realize that this very psalm is repeated in Psalm 53. If you've been reading through the psalm, you'll notice that Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 are almost identical. This is your first Sunday here or first Sunday back with us in a while. We've been going through uh, a teaching series that we're calling the Summer in the Psalms, and we've been encouraging the whole church to read all 150 chapters of the book of Psalms. And why are we asking that? Well, the purpose of reading Scripture is not merely to gain information. And you'll notice that that is critical to discipleship formation. The purpose of reading Scripture is not merely to gain information. We're not trying to walk around and be the Wikipedia of the Bible. Rather, we want to read Scripture so that we can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and be motivated to a deeper love of God and neighbor. 
That's why I'm asking you to do it. Our mission is discipleship formation, so it only makes sense that we would spend the time doing that. You see, what the scriptures do is that the scriptures form us. The scriptures will shape us into the people God has de destined us to be, a people of faithful and generous love. So I do want to warn you as we come to Psalm 14 that it's very blunt. It's kind of an in-your-face psalm. And in the game of chess, when a, when a player risks one or more pawns on a, or a minor piece to gain an advantage in a position, they have played a gambit. It's a maneuver. It's a, it's a strategy that they hope will result in a win. And when it comes to the being and the nature of God, so many of us are involved in these risky moves, hoping to get ahead, hoping to live our lives in such a way that we really don't need God. You know, there was a time in my life when I would read these words, and I thought that these words referred to someone who was an atheist. And I've come to learn that there are categories of atheism. At least there are two broad categories by my definition. There is what we call, and is popularly, popularly known, the, the philosophical or the theoretical atheist. This is someone who denies the existence of God. They see no signs. They see no evidence. They see no reason for God. For them, the universe is hermetically sealed. No external intelligence. No designer to explain the origin of life. But I believe that this verse is not describing that kind of atheist. And we don't fully know the background to Psalm 14. But it seems to be written to the people of God post the exile, the Babylonian exile. And so it's written to God's people. They're not atheists. What are they? This is the other form of atheism. They're what we call practical atheists. And to be a practical atheist is to live as if God doesn't exist. So you can be religious, and you can go to church, and you can believe in God, but you can live your life in such a way as if God doesn't exist. And so what people like us, religious people who are practical atheists do, we kind of leave God out of our work. We leave God out of our entertainment choices. We leave God out of our daily conversations unless we're using God's name as a swear word. We leave God out of our plans. And to people who are practical atheists, God is basically dead and irrelevant. And if God is irrelevant, then there is no need. There is no need. There is no one to whom we are accountable. And I want you to think about it this way. Let's say you invited me to your house for dinner. And as the food is being distributed and you are passing the food around the table, let's say you had on the menu that day fried green tomatoes. And I can clearly see that it's fried green tomatoes, but as it's coming my way, I put my hands up and I say, oh, no, thank you. 
No fried green tomatoes for me. Now listen, guys, I can see that it's fried green tomatoes. I know I can smell it, but I adamantly reject the food. And it's not that I don't believe that the fried green tomatoes are there because I can see them. But there is a decision on my part to turn away from what is being presented to me. And I think that's what David is going after here. David is saying that there are these fools in Israel. And the, Greek, the Hebrew literally says, no God. And maybe they're saying no to God and not saying no to the existence of God. They're just saying no to God. No God for me. I'll have nothing to do with God in this area of my life. While on the inside, there is this recognition that there is a God in heaven. Because they do go up to the temple for the religious festivals and so on. But the rest of the year, no God. I just don't want God to run my life. I don't want God to tell me how to live. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to be the captain of my own ship. I'm going to be the master of my own destiny. And so when God is presented to me and the evidence of God is clearly seen in creation, the truth about God is being made known to me, I still adamantly say, no, God. Now, who does this? As I said, people like you and me, church folks, religious folks, people who self-identify as Christians can live as practical atheists, and the scripture calls them fools. Now, in popular vernacular, we think of a fool as a stupid and uneducated person. But in the Bible, the fool suffers not from a lack of knowledge. The fool suffers from a failure to acknowledge God in trustful and daily obedience. So to be a fool is to downplay the reality of God. You know, in October, and we heard Carol mention it, in October, Dr. Andrew Root is going to be with us for a weekend. He's going to give a series of lectures on the church in a secular age. If you're concerned about why suddenly this massive departure from the church, from our young adults, why there are more and more people who are unaffiliated from the church, this series will help you to understand what's happening to the church in a secular age. We had scheduled him to come and be with us in March of last year, but uh, because of the pandemic, as you know, all those plans went down the tubes. So we're going to try again for October. But Dr. Root is also the, the, the author of a book called The Pastor in a Secular Age, where he explores what it means, what it means to be a pastor in an age where people no longer look to the transcendent, where people no longer look to the sacred and to the divine. They look within. They check out their feelings. And that's the way in which many people today make their decisions. And he says this in the book that he wrote called The Pastor in a Secular Age. And I want you to see this quote. He says, we all live inside this constructed frame that imposes levels of attention that make divine action questionable. Think about that for a moment. We all live inside this, what he called this 
constructed frame that imposes levels of attention that make divine action questionable, even for those who would never define themselves as atheists. We're all happy with God in the background. God in the background. To me, that's part of the theme of Psalm 14. Now, I want you to forgive me if I offend anyone with this picture. This picture was not taken in Chickasaw County, Mississippi. This picture was not taken in the deep south of Alabama or Louisiana. This picture was taken in the rather modern, urbane, very intellectually philosophical city of Portland, Oregon. And it's in a church. And you notice the sign that's behind those folks. It's interesting that it's behind them. Jesus saves. I think this is an example of what Root is describing when he talks about God in the background. When we leave God out of our picture, out of our lives, we become tone deaf. Our faith becomes distorted. And for many people in North America, this is where God is found. We gladly sing the song, Oh, how I love Jesus. And then we treat people as if they don't exist. And for the people in this picture, God is an avocation. God is a minor occupation. Someone to remember during special holy seasons. But not a God who would so fill their hearts that they would cherish a black man. Not a God who would so fill their hearts that they would love an Asian or a Hispanic or an immigrant. And we wonder why people are fed up with the church. When we live this way, the results are tragic. And notice what the Bible says. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. And there is no one who does good. That's the outcome. When we put God in the background of our lives and we live as if God doesn't exist. But the sad reality is this, that just because we diminish the reality of God, the existence of God, it doesn't mean that God is removed from the public square. It's like denying the sun. Denying the sun doesn't mean the sun does, doesn't exist or that God doesn't see and God doesn't know the real truth about our lives. Notice what the next verse says. And sometimes we forget this, right? The Lord looks down from heaven. And I know, don't think literally that God gets down on his knees and takes out binoculars and kind of looks down. The idea is that God is present among humankind. And God sees. God sees if there are any who are wise who are seeking after God. And this is what separates the wise from the fool. Notice in verse 1, the fool. And then the wise. The fool seeks after this life. They're trapped in this materialistic frame. While the wise person sees the activity of God everywhere. They fear God. They stand in awe of God. They seek God through scripture and worship. And that's what it means to see God. 
So what are the outcomes of those who keep God in the background of their lives? What's the outcome of the fool who says no to God? Well, first of all, they experience moral and spiritual drift. They have all gone astray. You have to go astray. They're all alike perverse. There is no one who does good, no, not one. What else happens to us when we put God in the background, when we say no to God? We end up abusing people. We abuse people. Notice what verse 4 says. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? How does God respond to the practical atheist? Well, again, I told you this is an in-your-face text. The Lord says they will be judged. As you try to abuse and devour people, God turns the table on these people and they are judged. There's a God who will judge this world one day. And it behooves us, it behooves us, young and old, that now is the time of salvation. Now is the time to turn our, our lives over to God and to seek him. There's a judgment that's coming into this world. And then the psalm ends with a prayer. The psalmist prays that the chaos produced by people who forget God, that God would, God would restore the fortunes of his people. You know, today there are many, many practical atheists. The fool who thinks they're, they're not accountable. But what I want to invite us to do is to live what I call the God-saturated life, the God-centered life. The fool fails to acknowledge God in a trustful way. But the wise person sincerely opens up his or her heart to God and say, Lord, I am yours. I trust you. Teach me to obey you. Teach me to follow you. And when you think about Jesus, we come to the text where Jesus is presented in 1 Corinthians as the God of all wisdom, all wisdom. God, Jesus is the, is the fullness of wisdom. He has become for us wisdom and righteousness and salvation. And when you think about the life of Jesus, Jesus lived in constant communion and obedience and submission to the Father and he lived his life in, in, in humility and obedience to God. And Jesus didn't devour people. Jesus cared for people, but was devoured on the cross in our place. But Jesus rose again from the dead. And through his life, we have new life so that we can live this God-saturated life. What does it mean? to live a life that is saturated with God. It simply means that on a daily basis, we openly acknowledge that all good things come from God. And so I'm just going to tell you what I do when I wake up in the morning. I First of all, I just say, God, thank you for allowing me to rest last night. Thank you for getting me through the night safely. And I think about our city of Chicago, and I said, I wonder how many people didn't make it through the night, and I pray for the city of Chicago. 
And then Judith and I spend a moment reading the scriptures and praying. And we say, Lord, thank you for this day. And I pray that you will go before me this day. And I want my actions, I want my words, I want my behavior to truly represent not that of a pastor. This is bigger than being a pastor. This is about being a disciple. Lord, I want to follow you this day. And of course, there is always a test. And I always fail the test. But then I come back to the Lord and I say, God, please forgive me. Help me tomorrow. And that's what I mean by the God-saturated life. You're seeking God through prayer. You're seeking God through the word. And then when you start the day, you say, God, go before me and help me to demonstrate through my life that you are real. I don't believe God is locked up in a church building. I don't believe when we walk out of this church and we start Monday that God is stuck on Sunday and Monday through Saturday it's kind of up to us. No, I believe in a 24-7 God. But we need to believe that. And we wonder why the church is drained of power. We wonder why the church's, the church's boldness in society has been eviscerated. It's because we've lost that center where we say yes to God. And I think part of the problem that's going on for the church today is that we've turned politics into a religion. We've turned politics into a religion. And we no longer adore and worship God the way we used to, but we spend so much time, we fixate, we, we get upset, we go after people based on our political position and theirs. When in fact, what we should be fixated on and animated by and concerned about and in love with is this God who created us. And if the person is a Republican, you're a Democrat, it doesn't matter. If the person is gay or straight, it doesn't matter. You're going to love them. You're going to pray for them. You're going to engage with them. But no, what happens to us, friends, is that we believe in a Sunday God. But the God-centered life doesn't allow you to do that. And I want to challenge first prayers. I want to challenge first prayers. Let us, let us be the wise people. When God looks down from heaven and begins to look for those who are wise and those who are seeking after him, that God would say, oh, yes, there is first prayers. Those people in Evanston, they're wise. They're seeking after me. I pray that for you. I pray that for me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen.